This is the 2017 Parsec Award submission for Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Bill Smith. And I'm Dan Davidson. Today we submit for your consideration a portion of our 100th episode, A Journey to Future's Past, Part 1. It's an NPR-style audio documentary detailing our visit to the set of the critically acclaimed fan film in 2015. In this segment, we see the bridge set for the very first time. And we also discover some complex emotions as we actually get to sit in the captain's chair. We hope you enjoy this 10-minute clip, and we thank you for your consideration. Chapter 4, The Other Tour. In addition to being the executive producer of Star Trek Continues, Vic Mignogna is, quite simply, an amazingly gracious host. Very few people get to come to set, but those who do are welcomed as part of a family. And part of that welcome is a tour by the man himself. When we told him that Casey had actually taken us through the set just before his tour with Mr. Roddenberry, he jokingly said, he did what? Well, there's a Casey tour, and then there's my tour. With that, we were on our way back to set. Having Vic walk us to the bridge set was one of the most wonderful moments of the entire trip. The smile on his face as he watched our reactions told us everything we ever needed to know about his passion for this project. He told us after the fact that one of his greatest joys is watching people react to being on the bridge. Anyway, there we were, and he asked us what we thought. I had no words. Then we noticed, or he noticed, that everything was powered down, and that just wasn't good enough. He looked up at the ceiling and yelled, Hey guys, I'm on the bridge. Light it up. A few minutes later, everything came to life. Consoles, displays, buttons, overhead lights. The bridge was real. And we were standing in it with the captain. It's hard to adequately express the intense feeling of awe we felt standing on the bridge this second time. It's one thing to see it powered down, but it's completely lit now, and all the buttons glow, and it, it takes on a whole new life of its own, and it's its own character. Vic told us he's always concerned that seeing the set might take people out of the magic of the show, but that certainly wasn't true for Bill and I. You know, this moment was the realization of a dream, a dream we weren't sure we'd woken up from since it was all so very surreal. Well, it was then that Vic said the five words that struck fear into both Bill and I. Go ahead. Have a seat. He was, of course, referring to the captain's chair, and we were both immediately panic-stricken. Captain Kirk was offering us a chance to sit in the center seat. Bill and I looked at one another, and I, I think we were both unable to literally move. We were both pretty intimidated by the prospect, and I don't think either one of us wanted to be the first one to sit in the chair. Look, Vic said, you came all this way. One of you better sit in that chair. Well, it, it felt a bit like the scene in Star Trek The Motion Picture where Kirk tries to get Spock to sit down. I looked at Vic and started shaking my head back and forth going, no, 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 you just can't sit in the chair. But then again, you can't really disobey the captain's orders, can you? So I stepped up on the platform, turned around, and just sat. I looked down at those wood-paneled armrests. I saw the buttons, the lights, everything. The jettison pod button. The freaking jettison pod button. I looked up and said, 
make it fast, Ben. I may have to go to Red Alert. And Vic was grinning from ear to ear, and I think he said something as Kirk, too, but truth be told, I really can't remember. The thing that surprised me most as I swiveled from side to side is looking forward to where the view screen would be. But that's the thing. It's not where you expect it would be, directly in front of the navigation console. No, actually, instead, it's off just a little bit to the left, off stage, and there's this big plywood wall there, and on that wall are the words, view screen, look here, written on it. I never realized it was off-center when the cast is filming, and it's just another piece of awesomeness that I need to digest. You know, looking back now, I truly believe I may have been in a minor state of shock to be sitting there. I think I was a little overwhelmed, and I, I actually remember tearing up a bit while I was looking around the set. I distinctly remember, however, looking over at my good friend, smiling and getting up to let him partake in this amazing experience. Then it was my turn to sit in the chair. It's an experience that's hard to remember in hindsight because I was just in such a daze from the excitement and the overwhelming feeling of awe. I remember spinning around in the chair to Spock station, and I remember wanting to press the switches and hit the comm panel. I didn't because I was so absolutely terrified to touch anything, but I so wanted to recreate scenes from Star Trek with myself in the chair, and and then it became a very different reaction for me. For me, the Starship Enterprise was my boyhood ship of dreams. As a young boy, it was where my mind always went to. I've walked those corridors in my mind hundreds of times as a kid. The captain's chair? I sat in that seat every day, commanding the Enterprise on all kinds of missions to explore and to boldly go where no one has gone before. The simple act of sitting down made it all tangible. It was something I could touch. The 10-year-old in me felt like he'd come home, and there were times growing up where I wished that actually had been my home. It's not something I've talked about a lot, at least publicly, but the reason I spent so much time walking the Enterprise in my mind is because it was my safe place. Now, long before I was born, my father had been a gunnery sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. I was the youngest of his sons, and much to his dismay, I was far more sensitive than my much older half-brothers. He thought I just needed to toughen up, and thus started more than a decade of being treated like a Marine recruit when no one else was around. There was a lot of name-calling and screaming. There was demeaning talk and diatribes on how I would never amount to anything. When no one else was around, it wasn't uncommon for my father to grab me by the neck, the back of my hair, and yank it back so hard, and he could literally scream at me only inches from my face. In those moments... The Starship Enterprise was the place I would go to in my mind to feel safe and to feel free. Sitting in the captain's chair on this particular day was incredibly overwhelming for that reason. And it was difficult to hold back the tears I could feel welling up within my eyes. If our tour ended right now, I could leave knowing that I finally came home. There was one other person who had entered the bridge area while I was sitting in the chair, and that was Star Trek Continues composer Andy Farber, who, coincidentally, had just sent me a friend request on Facebook earlier that morning, and neither of us knew the other would be on set. Now, if there's anyone who could qualify as a Trek geek, it's definitely Andy. 
not only does he retain a vast amount of knowledge in the form of Star Trek trivia, but he also has the same level of expertise on the music of Star Trek. The man is like a walking encyclopedia. This, too, is his first visit to set. And the word we all seem to be using with any regularity is amazing. You know, it was at this point we finally remembered that we had our phones on us. You know, the phones that have cameras on them that mean you could actually take pictures. I don't know why it didn't occur to us earlier, but it finally did at this particular point. And there may have been a selfie or two taken on the bridge, I won't lie. Rod Roddenberry wandered back to the bridge at this point, and he and Vic took a few pictures. I think I could have spent all day sitting on the bridge and just taking photos. We all wandered back to the common area so that the crew could set up for today's shoot. For me, that meant it was time for more coffee. And I really needed it, considering I still had Aaron Neville stuck in my head. Thanks, Dan. As I was pouring my next cup, I was greeted by a woman who I hadn't yet met, and she was extremely friendly. Are you enjoying your time with us? She asked. I replied that I was, and the smile on my face must have made that statement seem completely obvious. She said that it was a treat to have us here, and she was glad that we could make the trip down. I thanked her and introduced myself, and finally she replied with three words that really blew me away. I'm Vic's mom. I I was just stunned. You know, Dan and I have always imagined Star Trek continues as a family, but we didn't think there would be actual family working behind the scenes. It's amazing to think that the woman who raised Vic and saw all of his Star Trek dreams, and probably his home movies, was now helping him realize his dream in some way. I thought of how many times she must have sat through Star Trek as Vic watched it, and never knew back then that she would be looking at Star Trek in a completely different way today. She told me to be sure to let her know if there was anything we needed. And she told me that once you've come to visit, you're family. I joked that if that meant I was being put to work, I was completely okay with that, and we both shared a laugh. Now, while all of this is going on, I can see more cast members filing in and getting into costume and makeup. There's an energy filling the studio now as people are getting ready for a day's work in front of and behind the camera. 